add my welcome to you all this morning. And I do invite you to turn to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, and we're going to focus on the same text, actually, that we gave attention to last week, namely Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I think that many of the world's, the worst errors in the world are actually wonderful truths that have been significantly twisted. This past week I was listening to an interview on ESPN with a current WNBA player, WNBA meaning Women's National Basketball Association. The whole point of the interview was this particular athletes coming out as um, non-transgender but non-binary. That is, this individual no longer identifies as female, no longer identifies as male, and no longer identifies as transgender. Um, it's confusing. And um, as this person communicated in the interview, said, um, my pronouns have not been invented yet. That is, pronouns like she, he, they, whatever. My, my pronouns have not been invented yet, but I've learned that my gender doesn't fit into molds that keep trying to hold me down and box me in. Now, th those of us who would claim a biblical worldview find <laughs> plenty of provocative notions in just those two sentences. Um, but this is the summary statement the individual made that I want you to hear. I finally became comfortable with who I really am. Cheers to being whole because we were not created to be anything less than that. We were not created to be anything less than who we really are. Now, now, that is an example of really a wonderful truth. Namely, that God means for us to be comfortable with who he has made us to be. God means for us to be comfortable with who he has saved us to be. But then that truth gets twisted. And when people say, relax, you, know, you, just, you were born that way, or quit trying to be something you're not and just be the real you, we must acknowledge that uh, they are actually stumbling upon something very biblical. God does want you to be the real you. God does want you to be your true self. But to you, my true believing brothers and sisters in Jesus, 
joined to Christ in his death, buried with him, raised with him, God does not say, relax, you you were born this way. What God does say is, good news, you were reborn another way. And so be who you are. The claim of Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 14 is that believers in Jesus belong to Jesus. But more than that, the claim of Romans chapter 6 is that according to the working of God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been made alive. And that life personally expressed through faith in Christ You are joined to Jesus. Jesus lives in you. You live in him. And since you are one with him, therefore, live like him. Be who you are in Christ. Be true to who you are in union with Christ Jesus. That's the claim of our text. That's what Paul intends for us to get from Romans 6, 1 through 14. And my aim is to motivate you to do just that. So I want to invite you, if you're able, to please stand again. And in honoring the authority of God's word, let's follow along as I read Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified With him. Why? Why? Why were we crucified with him? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And why was the body of sin brought to nothing? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign 
in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Let's pray. So we are absolutely dependent on you, O God, through the working of the Holy Spirit to make these assertions, the assertions that the Apostle Paul has recorded, to make those things live and real, for us to feel the truth of them, for us to be affected for them to function. We pray that you would magnify the glorious work of the Holy Spirit through your glorious, holy, authoritative word. And that you would beget faith and you would strengthen faith and you would nourish faith. Nourish the very life of God in us and among us and through us. Get glory, we ask now, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Why, why did God save you? Have you ever thought about that? God's purpose in saving you? According to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, we all share in the guilt and corruption of, of Adam's very first sin. According to Romans 5, chap, chapter 5, verse 10, we are all by nature enemies of God. According to Romans 6, 23, we are sinners who deserve to die. And so why then did God save us? And here's the good news. According to Romans 5, 8, at just the right time, Jesus died for you. His death on the cross means that God is now for you instead of against you. Through faith in Christ, you are rescued, you are justified, you are a, an adopted child of God. That is good news. But why? Why did God save us? We've given careful attention to how God saves us. We've thought carefully about what happened when God saved us. We regularly drive home, I hope you hear, uh, what we need to do in order to be saved. But do you ever consider why God saved you? Now, there's more than one right answer to that question. According to John 3.16, God saved us because he loves us. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 and 12 and 14, God saved us for the, the honor and the praise of, of his own name. Those are probably the two most familiar answers to the why question. But there is another answer that is right and biblical 
and equally important. Listen, God saved you so that you might be holy. And we get that from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him. So God saved us, and here's the purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God chose us for salvation in eternity past and sent Jesus to save us, gave us the gift of faith by the working of the Spirit so that we might be holy, a holy people. J.I. Packer writes, In reality, holiness is the goal of our redemption. As Christ died in order that we may be justified, so we are justified in order that we may be sanctified and made holy. That's what sanctification means. Jesus died that we may be justified. We're justified in order that we may be sanctified, made holy. It seems like it took years for me to recognize that God saved me so that I would be holy. Um, I was 10 years old when I got down on my knees at my bedside with my mother and I prayed that God would forgive me of my sins. I was fearful of the notion of hell and I was even more fearful of the notion of being left behind. Hell was not as bad as being left behind. I really liked the idea of heaven. I really liked the idea of being forgiven so that I would not be left behind. But holiness. It was clear there were things that Christians did not do. But becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. That was, that was not on my radar. Uh, it was not for me. Uh, I, I, was looking, I was looking honestly for enough slack from God to do what I wanted in this life. And still have a nice spot for me in the next. Which is exactly the problematic thinking that Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 6. Remember verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And so for years, I, you know, I told my salvation story like this, and, and I've heard many of you tell it too in our membership interviews. So we, we, we all have had this understanding together. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was 10, but I didn't take him as my Lord until I was 18. There's a big gap between my recognition of the need for forgiveness and my recognition that holiness was not an optional add-on. The main point of Romans 6, 1 through 14, I, I believe is in, it's stated most plainly in verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, or 
Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13 goes into explaining what that looks like. Why not? Why not? That therefore signals that this is the conclusion of the matter. Don't let sin reign over you. Don't let sin control you. Don't let sin force you to obey. Don't let sin persuade you to buy in to what sin is all excited about. But it therefore also means that there's a, there are reasons upon which this conclusion is built. And what are those reasons? And, and friends, listen, Paul is laying here the, the groundwork for biblical Christian ethics. Why should we do what God says is right? Why should we bend our will to God's will? Why accept God's definition of right and wrong? Why not present our body parts to sin in order to function as instruments for unrighteousness? And for Paul, the motivation starts, doesn't end, but it starts with your identity in Christ, as I said at the beginning. Be who you are. That's your motivation. Be who you are. Romans 6 tells us what is objectively, what is def definitely, what is irreversibly true of you if you are a Christian. You are baptized into Christ. Chapter 6, verse 3. You are crucified with Christ. Verse 6. You died with Christ. Verse 8. You are buried with Christ. Verse 4, you were raised with Christ. Verses 4 and 5, by grace, through faith, you are joined to Christ. That is who you are. And Christian, listen. I know it's true that we do not always feel the reality of that. We don't always feel close to Jesus. But how we feel does not change the reality of who we are in union with Jesus. Verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And Paul commands that because that's what's true of us as Christians. That's who we are as Christians. And since it is true of us, this is why we do not allow sin to reign. We don't allow sin to take control of our bodies. Our union with Christ, our identity in Christ, fundamentally, irrevocably changes our relation to sin. And so, like you hear the world saying in kind of half-truth measures, be true to who you are in Christ. Th think of it like this, this notion of union with Christ. It's like a 10-year-old boy. A 10-year-old boy who refuses to be called a baby by his buddies. 
I mean, I'd just be like, whoa, oh. He, he knows he's not a baby anymore. He's a boy. So he starts acting like one, right? He starts acting more grown up. And, and part of acting grown up means telling your so-called buddies, stop calling me a baby. I'm not one. Or, union with Christ is like a young woman who is about to go off to college for the first time in a horse-drawn carriage. And she arrives at her high-rise dorm with a quill and an ink bottle rather than a laptop. And she unloads this wooden crate of homemade candles rather than a desk lamp. And she submits handwritten assignments on parchment paper and communicates home via snail mail, only to realize she's not in the right century. She, you know, we'd be shocked to meet a college student like that. She needs to start living in the proper age. Now, now these aren't, you know, perfect analogies, I realize, but, you know, they, they get at Paul's argument and claim in Romans chapter 6. Be who you are. And since last week we gave attention to our union with Christ in his death, and since we just did that moments ago through the Lord's Supper, I, I want to just take the rest of our time to draw attention to who we are in union with Christ in his present, current, ongoing life. Join to Christ through faith. Loved ones, listen, you are alive to God. Look again at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, present tense, the life he lives right now, is living right now, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves right now dead to sin and alive right now to God in union with Jesus Christ. In the same way he is living to God. Jesus is alive. And the fact that that life that Jesus is living this very moment, this very moment, he is living unto God. He no longer lives as he did for 33 years in the realm of sin, in the realm of sickness and demonic darkness and death. The life Jesus lives today, the life Jesus lives at this very moment, he lives in the realm of God's presence, God's rule, and God, to, to use Paul's term, God's dominion, and God's authority, and God's power, and God's fullness of pleasure in God's own glory. 
And listen, join to Jesus in the life that he is living right now, at this very moment, the life he is living to God. We also live to God because that's who we are. With Jesus, joined to Jesus, in union with Jesus, we are alive now to God. There's new instinct, there's new impulse. So here's just a few things that are true about what it means to be alive to God. It means means I am living in the realm of God, under his dominion, in his world. Back to the other analogies. We're not babies. (laughs) We're grown-ups. We don't go to work or school or cross the country in horse-drawn carriages. We live in a different age. We belong to a different realm. We go by a different name. Your position right now, objectively, factually, is as a holy and beloved child of God, dead to sin, alive to righteousness, seated in heaven. So live like it. You're not babies anymore. (laughs) Be true to who you are in Christ. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Rather, according to verse 19, instead present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, holiness, more and more and more like Jesus. Being alive to God means living in in his world, in his realm, under his kingship, yielding to his authority, enjoying all of his wise and wonderful governance. But being alive to God also means, I think logically out of that, that that I have access to God's fullness. Loved ones, By grace, through faith, we're joined to Jesus. And joined to Jesus, we, like Jesus, enjoy access to all that God is for us today. At this moment, the Lord Jesus enjoys the fullness of God's lavish grace and infinite joy. At God's right hand, Jesus is enjoying pleasures this world knows not of. And if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, then we shall also certainly be united with him in a life, in the life that he lives to God. Isn't that what Paul prays for us? It's it's not just for the future. He prays this for us in Ephesians chapter 3 for now, for today. He prays, I bow my knees before the Father. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you now, that's what it's implied here, now to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you may have strength now 
to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. It surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We, we describe ourselves as continuationists. And part of what that means is that, that we earnestly desire the fullness of Jesus' life and character and wisdom and discernment and disposition and gifts and zeal and power to be revealed in and through us, in our lives, by the working of the Holy Spirit, now. The very thing that sets us apart from every other people on earth is this active and very discernible presence and power of the risen, living, breathing, working, loving, serving, saving, healing, darkness-dispelling, sin-killing person of Jesus. And so... Does it make any sense then to conclude that we should continue in sinning so that we could enjoy more of that? By no means. We're alive to God, united to Christ. We live in God's realm. We live under His kingship and therefore we have access to His fullness, all that He is for us so that we might walk in newness of life and holiness before Him. And further, to be alive to God means... That I am the object of God's special concern. Here's what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, again, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in union with Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in union with Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, he chose us God chose us in Christ before Genesis 1.1. Is it not apparent that if we are chosen by God in Christ before Genesis 1.1, that we are the object of God's particular attention and purpose? He's thinking about us. <laughs> He's been thinking about us for a long, long time. He's still thinking about us. He chose us. He claimed us for his own. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, Where his workmanship created in, again, that's in union with or by virtue of our union with Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared back then. Beforehand, before any of them, 
that we should walk in them. So before we were born, God planned and wrote up the storyline of our lives so that we might be shaped and prepared for works he means for us to accomplish. Being alive to him means that you are the object of his particular and very purposeful concern. Now that changes our perspective on the hard things that we inevitably experience on this side of heaven. And so Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, we know that for those who love God, those who are joined to Christ, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31 What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If we're alive to God, it's because we are the object of God's special concern and particular attention. And being alive to God in Christ indicates that God has a specific purpose for us. Not the least of which is finally and ultimately growth in holiness. So to be alive to God means I am growing in holiness. Of course the Bible's it's it is realistic about holiness. It it, it would be a misunderstanding to think that all this glorious talk about Dying to sin and living to God means that there is no more struggle, no struggle anymore, or that sin will never show up again in the believer's life. (laughs) The Christian life still entails obedience to Christ's command. It still involves a fight, but, but it's a fight that we will win. Kevin DeYoung writes, You have the Spirit of Christ in your corner, rubbing your shoulders, holding the bucket, putting his arm around you and saying before the next round with sin, you got to knock him out, kid. Sin may get in some good jabs. It may clean your clock once in a while. It may bring you to your knees. But if you are in Christ... It will never knock you out. So loved ones, you're no longer slaves, but free. Sin has no dominion over you. It cannot. It will not. A new king sits on the throne. You serve a different master. You salute a different captain. And in effect, God says to us, Because you believe in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, I have joined you to Christ. When he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. He is alive, and so you are alive in him. He is in heaven. And in a sense, you are there too. He is holy so you're holy. That's, that's who you are. Now, be 
who you are. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to pray for all those who um, might today still be where I was years ago when um, I could identify myself as being forgiven. I could identify myself as a Christian who hoped in Christ and hoped in heaven. But I had no mindset towards growing in Christ-likeness and fighting sin and becoming holy. That I could profess you as Savior, but to profess you as Lord was some kind of a add-on, optional. For, for those who might still be in that mindset, I, I pray that, that you would bring your word to bear and cause it to function and get some things done. Bring that, bring that gap together. Father, for those who have professed faith in Christ but, but just are, are in the fight, they're in the ring and they've been taking blow after blow after blow from remaining sin. And uh, they look like Rocky Balboa in a spiritual sense. I pray, Lord, that you would um, supply grace so that they might work out their salvation with wonder and awe and gratitude and encouragement and joy because it is you that is powerfully at work according to your life, the life of Jesus, in them, moving them, inclining them, causing them to will and to act according to your good purpose. And Lord, we pray that as, as a people, that you would get glory in shaping us and helping us to grow up into Jesus, to be more like Jesus. I pray by your Spirit that you'd cause us to think like Jesus. Give us a worldview like Jesus. Give us perspective on everything like Jesus. Jesus' perspective. Give us the character of Jesus more and more. Give us the wisdom of Jesus more and more. Pour out the gifts and the power for ministry of Jesus more and more. Cause us to have discretion and self-control and speak like Jesus more and more and more. Make Jesus real. In us, through us, we pray. For, for your glory in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.